Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Huberman. You're about to make the jump from the dishonest mainstream media into free and independent thought from key thought leaders on the subjects of culture, causes, politics, and faith. Welcome to Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman. I'm really excited to have a friend, a relatively new friend, but somebody that uh, I consider a friend already on the show today. So Peppo Biscarini, thanks for being here, man. Thank you for having me. Appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. My pleasure. So the other day when we were talking at your house just over dinner and stuff like that, we talked about some really, really interesting stuff mm. that I think will uh, help people kind of engage in some things that are very relevant. I want to talk to you about COVID since you're from Italy and uh, you're just visiting here kind of temporarily and you're going to go back into the lion's den in just yeah. a little bit. I'd love to talk about kind of what happened from your perspective since that was like a real hot spot and a place where there was a lot of casualties and that kind of thing. And I just yeah. I want to talk with you mainly, not specifically about that, but mainly about some of the, the restrictions that were placed on you guys because mm-hmm. what you were telling me was like really, really super interesting. And I think it'd be interesting for people, especially in the United States to hear what was going on in Italy sure. during some of that uh, that really high curve time in, in, in Italy. But then also, too, I'd like to talk to you about uh, uh, just kind of what we're doing here at Indie Thinker and then uh, kind of the conversation that we had around the gospel uh, culture and its impact on people and whether it should affect their head and their heart. And we'll kind of dig into a lot of that stuff. But before we do that, I would love to just get to know you a little bit better, let the audience get to know you too. So you have been an actor. You have been a model. Uh, You've done a lot of that stuff. You lived in LA for a while. um, And then, uh, and then you became a, uh, we, this is the crazy thing. Like I was thinking, how do I classify what you do? But like, we have the kind of silliest terminology in the American church for things. Uh We call everybody a missionary who doesn't, who is not a pastor in the United States. I don't know if you've like seen that, but, uh, but needless to say, uh, you're a pastor, a minister, uh, and you work, uh, all over Italy doing a bunch mm-hmm. of different stuff and you're about to jump into some new endeavors there. So tell us a little bit about, uh, kind of how you came to the States and then tell okay. us about your conversion experience, about how mm. Christ came into your life. <laughs> conversion experience is going to be a long one. Well, basically the, the reason why I came to the States originally, that was back in 1979, okay. was to actually train for the 84 Olympics. So well, I was a butterflyer. Yeah. And at 15, I set a world record in long distance swimming. I was doing marathons. I was doing extreme sport before the term was even coined. It was kind of crazy. So you were awesome uh, so, before awesome existed. Kind well, of. I wouldn't say I was, I was awesome, but, you know, a kind of a crazy mind, you know, push the limit. How yeah. far can your body go? You know, that was always kind of intriguing to me. And uh, so when I had a chance to enter this, uh, this world championship, it was a long distance, it was a 24-hour swim. Uh, I did. Wow. The federation actually shut me down because I was too young. So they said, okay, let's put you through some panels with some doctors, and if they give you a green light, then we'll let you, we'll let you race. So they gave me a green light, and, um, and I did it. Then I did some other crazy swim from Monte Carlo to Genova, you know, which is another 187K, uh, 115, 120 miles roughly. So, so crazy stuff like That's that. Nice. And then later on in life, I got crazy. and I started doing what is called free diving, where you go deep underwater. Yeah, where you hold hoping, your breath for a long exactly period of time. Right. You know, hoping so there's to no come gear. Back. No gear. Well, only gear is the fins. Uh-huh. So you power down and power up. They are different kind of competition. Some are done with a sled and a balloon. That's very extreme. Yeah. But power down and power up is is the pure form, and that's that's what I was doing. I was the team captain at the World so Cup. So how long could you hold your breath? I had a national record at 540. That wow. was back uh, back in uh, 98. How long you know, can you hold your breath uh, now? Now, not much, because I had COVID <laughs> and actually had an effect on me. You know, I can tell you that at the alveolar uh, level, yeah. there's been some atrophy because mm-hmm. I noticed, you know, the shortening of breath. But probably now, maybe maybe pushing five minutes and, and hurting. Well, dang, that's still pretty good. I think yeah. I've got like a minute and a half, maybe. A lot of it is mental. Yeah. A lot of it is mental. Actually, I got to train the Navy SEALs between 1992 and 1996. And uh, a couple of funny stories. You know, I, I, I did a pattern with them where they would hold their breath uh, in interval. It's called a box. You know, you breathe in, you hold, breathe out, hold. And... Um, before I started that, I said, okay, go ahead and just hold your breath. And uh, most of them came up within a minute. Mm. It was insane. So I started kind of teasing and I said, oh, and this is the best we got. <laughs> because that particular team, actually, uh, they were the best of the SEAL. 
uh, they were, in essence, represented the SEAL team in world competition oh, with wow. other military you know, uh, units. And, um, and so, yeah, they were the best of the SEALs. And so I used to tease them, and they get all hyper and huffing and puffing. I say, no, that's exactly what you want to avoid. When you have adrenaline rush like that, it's going to just nail your oxygen. And so you take him through, you know, a mental process of mm -hmm. slowing everything down. And and then I got him to do, you know, I think the best guy did about 3.30 or so. That's so, nice. So how, how much was your heart? How fast your heart, your heart drops. Beat? Your heart drops. Actually, I've done a video to kind of check that. And at the start, it was pretty high, actually. It was around, I think, 82, 85, somewhere in there. And then as I was approach, approaching four minutes, was already down to maybe mid-40s. And then toward the fifth minute, was down around 32 or so. That's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a response. I mean, your body kind of shuts down. So, it's so I imagine when you were doing all that, you were not a Christian. But when I see that stuff right now as a Christian, uh, I look at, like, the amazing capacity the mm -hmm. human body has and think about the amazing creator that we yes. have. I don't know if you've seen um, any of these documentaries on on these free divers, especially in like, a, I think it's almost like third world countries, but I don't want to say specifically because I can't remember. I think Dying to Dive was the name of one of them, but those, these guys could hold their breath, I want to say, for like over 10 minutes. It was yeah. nuts. I don't yeah. remember how long it was, but they, but they basically, they have a culture of living and are those the nomads that live yeah. on water? Yeah. They're a Philippine tribe. Yeah. Okay, yeah. around, sure. Okay. Uh -huh. Yeah, I couldn't re It's been a while since I've seen that, and yeah. I think it's dying to die. But anyway, yeah. Lamboajo, I think, is the island where they kind of come from. Yeah, yeah so you've heard about these guys. Yeah. How, lo how yeah. long can they hold their breath? Um, they're saying that, and I think uh, BBC or some of those channels, you know, kind of gloat with that. Yes. Because the official, you know, there is official war records. And even at that, you have to be careful because whenever you take oxygen, if you have oxygen intake, you can do about three times what you normally would. The only difference is that when you're doing it normally and you're pushing the limit, you will get into a black out yeah. situation. Yeah. So you lose consciousness. If you're taking in oxygen and you're pushing the limit, typically you have a blackout with cardiac arrest. So it's much, much more dangerous. Right. But yeah, the official I think is uh, 10, 30, 10, 40. Like the I haven't, record. I, yeah, yeah. I haven't kept in touch, but yeah. Yeah. So you were doing so, that. Uh, so that's super interesting. I didn't. We didn't even talk about that the other no, day. So no, that's interesting. It's okay. That was my prior life. But so do you yeah. still? Do you hold any records still? Uh, the 24-hour record is still holding. Okay. That's uh, 87 kilometers. It's 83, 83.7 um, kilometers. Sorry, it's about 52 miles roughly. Okay. It's done in kilometers. It was done in a swimming pool. So, yeah, judges that you okay. know, clock you. How yeah. long did that take you? 24 hours. The race is 24 hours. So it's, uh, so it's a mental race, okay. mainly. I mean, you got to be obviously in a good physical condition, but you're dealing with your mind going crazy. You're going back and forth in a 50-meter pool, staring at a black line, saying, oh, what am I doing this for? Yeah. And so that's what I was telling you earlier, you know, the fact that I was always challenging myself, you know, what is the next goal? You know, what is the next step? And, and it becomes almost uh, a drug, you know, just like uh, the person that wants to shoot up while well, the adrenaline rush or even worse, identifying yourself by what you do yeah. is a kiss of, a kiss of death. Mm -hmm. And so when I broke my back, I broke my back in January of 83, and that took me out of the games. That was, that was really hard. Yeah. So I was a brand new believer, and I was screaming out to God, saying, oh, why did you do this to me? Mm -hmm. You know, that was my last goal, and you took that away. So uh, instead of looking at what is the lesson to be learned, there was just anger. Yeah. You know, that's my final goal, and you stripped me away from that. And basically what God was showing me is, Peppo, I'm your savior. I'm not, I'm not your Lord. <laughs> I mean, you invited me in the car, but yeah. you, you told me sit down in that passenger seat while I'm driving where I want to go. You know, see, and that, that's that's the thing. I love that because the, <laughs> that's the thing that I think I see with kind of the positive mental attitude form of Christianity today. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt that Christianity should make a positive impact on your life, right? That yeah. it should, uh, that you should be a more positive person than a than a negative person when you become a Christian, for sure. And there's a lot to be positive about, but. Um, <clears throat> my concern with the positive mental attitude kind of stripe of Christianity where it's just about what Jesus can do for you exactly. misses out on who the person of Jesus really actually is in your life, and you're going to be robbed of that. 
Absolutely. And, and sometimes I think we need to learn the hard way. You yeah. know, in my case, you know, he was just the genie in the bottle, right? Yeah. So, you know, here it is, you know, I need this, I need that. So I'm giving my shopping list and, uh, you know, the cosmic God just dispenses whatever I ask yeah. for. And it's completely warped. So basically what he had to say is, no, I am Lord mm-hmm. of everything, yeah. including your life. Yeah. So now you can ease into that if you want to. <laughs> Or you're going to learn the, the hard yeah. way. You know? yeah, and see, so, that's, that, that's kind of like the TED Talk version of Christianity for our generation. It's uh-huh. like self-improvement yeah. to the point where you realize that, one, I think uh, you have to admit, even if you're not a Christian, that that kind of mentality could be very self-centered. Mm-hmm. You get really self-absorbed sure. in just being the best that you can be, uh, and you're focusing on you so much that you forget that your that's life right. can make such a difference in the lives of yeah. other people. But more than that, if you make the mistake of what you just said, and you follow that positive mental attitude mm-hmm. um, movement just merely to its end, ultimately what you'll find is that you've made the mistake of equating that you are based upon what you do yeah. rather than who you truly are, like on the inside or anything else. Big mistake. Yeah. Actually, I had a talk about that recently, and, and I had the chance or the blessing, I should say, to experience that when I was 23 years old. Mm-hmm. So basically, God was showing me, Pepo, your identity is wrapped in what you're doing. Yeah. The moment you cease doing, you cease being. And that's a big mistake. So then I had to kind of rearrange my thinking and basically saying, who am I to your eyes? And that's something that nobody can ever strip away from you. So when you're looking at the blessing, when you're looking at the way God views us, Mm -hmm. I mean, the amount of love that comes out of it, overwhelming. And so that all of a sudden gives you that sense of what can I do for you? Because the gratitude that comes out of it is, is immense. And then all of a sudden you have a partnership that works. Instead of just abusing of his power, you're actually easing into it saying, okay, you have created me. So as the creator, I don't have the manual. You know, my manual is messed up because the world is teaching me certain things, but you have created every part of me. So tell me how these parts are supposed to work. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, I think you're ahead of the game if you kind of ease into it. Yeah, for sure. So, um, so we, I, I want to just walk down that path just a little bit because I think mm-hmm. it's important because one of the things that's really popular, maybe you're aware of it, maybe not, it, on social media, even mm-hmm. outside of the Christian world is just the positive, and maybe it has always been, but, but there's a lot of guys my age now that are getting really popular on the, the positive mental attitude thing. You can do whatever you set your heart to kind of thing. Just like, uh, you, whatever choice you make is good as long as you've made it in advance. I, I heard somebody say that the other day and I was thinking, is that really what we're going to push? We're going to tell people whatever choice they make, as long as they're choosing to do it willfully is a good choice. Like that kind of just platitudinal living, I think ultimately yeah. just leaves us dry and empty. And Augustine said this, he said, our hearts are restless until mm-hmm. we find our rest in you. Mm-hmm. I can't help but wonder, especially um, with the advent of some of this stuff on social media, because you've got some amazing people like David Goggins, I don't know if you know who he is, who's just kind of encouraging people to push themselves to the limit. He's an ultra marathoner, so kind of like yeah. you were in the swimming mm-hmm. world, and then you've got people like Jocko Willink, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> And Jocko is like a real tough guy, gets up at 4 a.m., sure. starts working out and mm-hmm. all sorts of stuff. And just really uh, – and I'm, they're not necessarily the positive mental attitude guys, but mm-hmm. uh, but I'm just using them kind of as an example to just say that kind of – that striving for personal perfection while good on the one hand mm-hmm. ultimately can leave us very empty, I think, on the, on the other hand. So I think it's interesting to say that uh, your story just yeah. is very interesting in that respect that you got to kind of the pinnacle of mm-hmm. your athletic career and then – you broke your back, and you mm-hmm. let you were left wondering, where does that leave me? Mm-hmm. And you ultimately f- had that great eureka moment that I think mm-hmm. all everybody needs to come to if they're really going to try to figure out what life is about and find intrinsic value in life mm-hmm. of saying that it's not just based upon what you do. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's bigger than that because what if you break your back? Mm-hmm. What if you lose your legs sure. and all of a sudden you can't identify sure. as a runner anymore? Sure. You lose your arms and all that stuff. And, and you see that also with business people. You know, I've had the chance to talk to some very, very successful business people that are getting to the end of their career and they're feeling worthless. Yeah. Or people, even worse, they're saying, okay, I climbed so high to realize that my ladder was propped in the wrong building. Yeah. Then what do you do at that point? So I think um, God loves us so much that he gives us, you know, throughout our lives, moments 
of, you know, the eureka moment, as yeah. you said before, where you realize, you know, what am I doing all of this for? You know, the getting up at four o'clock in the morning, you know, that's part of the discipline. Sure. What is your final goal, though? Just right. to stay in shape, to push yourself? I mean, what is your, what are you trying to achieve? Yeah. And, um, you know, with me, again, uh, discovering uh, the author of this, even on the physical sense, was, was really important. And then to, in essence, understand, that's what I'm struggling with even now. Uh, Ephesians 2.10 says that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that he predestined for us. So when you're looking at that is, sure, you know, all of us have talents, right? You know, the Holy Spirit fills you and you have different gifting. But even beyond that, I think that what God is saying is, I prepare a path for you. And you're going to find fulfillment once you embark in that path. But sometimes in our eagerness of wanting to do, especially type A personality, you want to do, right? Mm -hmm. Let me go, 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 go. I want to do, 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 do. Okay, fine. Uh, be still and know that I'm God. You know, where that where does that fit into the picture, right? So the fact that sometimes we jump the gun on certain situation, I mean, God is going to use it, obviously, you know, Roman 8.28. But uh, the bottom line is, how about conversing with him ahead of time and say, no, is, is this the path? Because I'm going to be in 100%. Mm-hmm. I'm going to wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. But I want to make sure that the path is my correct path. Yeah. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, you're dealing with people that are very frustrated because they embarked in the wrong path. Yeah. And they didn't really consult you know, with, with the maker properly. Yeah. And then their frustration, you know, they're still getting up early, but they don't have a drive, they don't have enthusiasm, they don't have a passion, they lost passion. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that is kind of sad with, with some of the young kids in, in Italy, but I've seen it even here in the U.S. If you even ask them, I say, you know, what are you passionate about? What do you get up early in the morning for? Mm-hmm. And a lot of them said, I don't get up early in the morning <laughs> because I was so wasted last night. That, you know? So even that, why were you so wasted last night? And as you dig in, you realize they're just numbing their senses. Yeah. And that's sad. I mean, if you don't get excited to get up because the day is ahead of you and you can conquer yeah. some things, what do you live for? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a tragedy. Yeah, maybe there's something even in that too, is that like you find less reason to get up day after day and to do that day after day thing if you don't feel like there's an eternal purpose connected to it. Exactly. If it's just day after day, the mundaneness mm-hmm. of life can get to us. And sure... Discipline helps us with that, but I can't help but wonder too. Well, I know this is true. Is that uh, perhaps the best way to look at this, or one of the ways to look at it, is is that our lives are comprised of discipline, mm-hmm. and that helps us here. We can conquer here with mm-hmm. discipline. The most disciplined people, even without God, I think you'd agree. You probably mm-hmm. saw some in your athletic days. Sure, can do some pretty amazing things. Uh, and and without God is a little bit like maybe without God, but maybe not really. Um, but you know, you can do a lot on your own with just discipline but excuse me one correction they have a god you're saying without god they have a god uh, their god is themselves yeah which is even scarier yeah <laughs> okay yeah so where does that lead <laughs> yeah, that's a whole different conversation. but uh but so discipline will help you conquer here but devotion will help mm-hmm. you help you live a life that goes far beyond what you could just do while, while you're here uh, so and you that, did it with your hands, actually. You know, you're dealing with the vertical yeah. instead of the horizontal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's huge. Yeah, and it leaves mm-hmm. you empty. So mm-hmm. you were uh, operating as an athlete. Uh, mm-hmm. So you came to Christ uh, in the middle of that career um, shortly before. I, you I did. Back, I so. did. I, I grew up in Italy, obviously, with you know the institutional religion there, and I was uh, I wanted to be active even at that. You know, so when I was six, I was uh, an altar boy. Then by the time I was about eleven. After being a reader of the word up in front and and actually seeing things from that perspective, um, it made me think because I was looking at the crowd and I would see people falling asleep. I would see people chatting, or even myself. I was there for the wrong reason, you know. I'm looking at the little girls the in girls, the choir. Yeah, yeah, yeah you know. <laughs> so uh, by the time I was 15 and I had that that opportunity of having that record, you know, you start having media, you know, on you, and and I'm thinking. My shoulders are not big enough to carry this. I need to find power. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find it in the church, so I went to the occult. I said, okay, maybe it's over here. So I started doubling with the occult, saw power there, but it was scary. Mm-hmm. You know, so I had that dichotomy for a while, you know, looking for 
answers in life. I want to but... get to the money shot, but I do got to ask you about okay. what you saw because I think that would be interesting for people to see too, to know that there's... On the dark power. side? Yeah. So on the dark side, I just started out by uh, reading some books on uh, mind control and whatnot, but then I was kind of intrigued, you know, with seances and... Uh, I done uh, I done only one of them because it scared all of us that were present. You know, literally, we saw some manifestation and and we all freaked out. and no more. But many times it was was weird because I would have certain moments where something from within would draw me toward a mirror. So mm-hmm. I would be looking at a mirror, staring at my pupils, and then all of a sudden it's almost as if you were going inside of you, and everything was completely black. It's weird. And then you're feeling almost like a volcano erupting. You know that if you continue to focus that way, something is going to happen. And I would just cut it off yeah. because I was I was scared. But I had strange things, you know, happening in, in that uh, realm. Um, but then when I came to the U.S., I decided I'm not going to go to church anymore. You know, this is it. And I almost threw a challenge to God, you know, kind of an arrogant you know, it's pretty pathetic, you know, it's part of the personality, but yeah. I don't see, maybe arrogant is a strong word, but it was almost a challenge. God, I know you're there because I've experienced certain things with you in the past, but if you really care, come and get me. Mm-hmm. And that was my cry out to him. And then uh, within about a week, you know, something pretty intense happened, you know, so uh, it was kind of a Pauline conversion, you know, basically I I was drawn back to that area where I threw out the challenge, which was a beach behind my house up in Northern California. And, um, and basically I felt enveloped by this power and was scaring me because I didn't know if it was evil or good. Mm-hmm. Remember when I was doing the evil thing, I was kind of in control of it. I could shut it off. This was overwhelming. Mm. I couldn't shut anything off. Yeah. And that's why I was scared at first. And I heard the first sentence. Obviously, it wasn't a voice, like an audible voice, but it was much stronger than just a thought. Yeah. And was, in essence, saying, oh, Pepo, you think you have a lot of friends, but you're alone. And that went right through my heart. I'm going, oh, ouch, that hurts. And I realized, yeah, on campus, you know, I got all the girls hanging around, the guys hanging around because they want to meet the girls, but who cares about me? I saw some of your commercials back in the day. (laughs) And then then the second sentence was, Pepo, you don't know how to love others because you love yourself too much. Mm. Again, another stab right in the heart. Yeah. Realizing, yeah, many times I'm doing things for people, but am I really doing it for them or for my own self-gratification so that I can pat myself in the back? <clears throat> and then the third basically was look at the qualities that you have, but give me praise and credit for it. Don't mm-hmm. take it for yourself. And so that sensation went away. So I decided I better go to church, you know, tomorrow. You know, that was on a Saturday. So I went to church and the message had three points. And the three points were exactly the same thing that I heard the day before. Mm-hmm. So that really caught my attention. I said, oh, whoa, 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 there is something going on. Obviously, you're communicating to me. And, uh, and that night, I had a dream. I dreamed this girl, and uh, I saw her on campus only once. So next morning, Monday morning, I go to college, and it was the first official swimming practice. And who shows up? This girl. So I go up to her and say, hey, my name is Peppo, you know, and uh, I had a dream about you last night. You know, she was like, whoa, you know, it was this weirdo, you know. No boys. Coming on, <laughs> coming on like this. And uh, so we start talking and it turns out that she was a very committed believer. So she invited me to her church and I went to her church and then the pastor said, hey, we have a retreat this weekend. Why don't you come up? So I went to the retreat and, you know, they all had... Um, experiences because they had a bonfire going and they were singing songs. I didn't even know the songs, but one by one, they stood up and they said, I was saved five years ago. Mm-hmm. I was born again three years ago. Saved, born again. Came to my turn. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah. Saved from what? Yeah. You know, born again just didn't make any sense, right? Yeah, we'll jump Sometimes into this. Sometimes we get you... all these cliches and for a non-believer, it doesn't, doesn't make sense. Yeah, we'll jump into this. But So you had here maybe, but not here. I didn't have much even here. <laughs> <laughs> so so bottom line, the pastor said, hey, if anybody's in need, come on up and we can pray. So I went up and, um, and I, told, I told him, I said, hey, I don't understand what this business about being born again is. You know, can you explain that? And he just went straight into a prayer of salvation. Yeah. You know, repeat after me. So I was repeating. I maybe understood 70% of what he was saying because my English wasn't that good. And um, so he gave me a hug at the end. said, oh, now you're saved. And I felt trapped. I said, what did he do? 
I didn't ask him to do it. I asked him to explain what that is. Mm -hmm. So it was complete rejection. Reed yeah. was like, I don't want to talk to you anymore. I want to see the girl. I want to see him. I have 180. And that lasted maybe three weeks. And then I went camping with a friend on the beach, you know, still in Northern California. Set up the tent late at night, windy, and I couldn't sleep. So I got out, and as I was walking, I felt like I had 500 pounds on my shoulders, you know, just putting me down on my knees. And my pride was just picking me up and saying, no, you on your knees, never. Hmm. And maybe I did three steps, and I literally collapsed. <laughs> And basically, I felt like God's hand just grabbing my heart and just pulling it. And mm -hmm. I said, okay, I think now I understand. You want this. You don't want this. Yeah. When it's convenient for me. Yeah. You want my life, and I'm ready to surrender. So that was cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. an awesome story. Yeah. I love that yeah. for a couple of reasons. One of the things I love about that is that uh, your initial experience mm -hmm. to that prayer it's yeah. not like the typical like experience, right? Because people say, oh, I had that prayer and it was just this great moment, or I had that prayer and I served God from there on out, but that prayer left a, me off. a bitter taste in your yeah. mouth. Yeah, so I love that because here's the thing is that people may not realize that the, the feelings that they feel, mm -hmm. they only want to ascribe it to psychic or uh, phenomenological, maybe like phenomena mm -hmm. that you're just experiencing, but they don't recognize that some of the things that you're feeling are God tugging on your mm -hmm. heart and trying to get your mm -hmm. attention. Mm -hmm. And it seems like that's exactly what was going on with you in a, yes. in a regular basis mm -hmm. at that point in time. So, uh, so needless to say, uh, so at that point in time, your life kind of takes a 180, and you met Jane, who was a phenomenal cook. By the way, I got to ask you. <laughs> so do you have any part in that, in, in her cooking, nah, or does she know how to cook all, before? That's all on her. Yeah. Okay. She, she loved to cook in the past, and then the experience in Italy was just mind-blowing for okay. her. Okay, sure. So she definitely married the right guy. Yeah, uh, there's yeah. no doubt about that. All right. Uh, so she's a fantastic yeah. uh, Italian Thanks. cook. Does she ever let you go to... Uh, Olive Garden while you're here in the States. Heck, I'm, I'm not going by myself <laughs> either. <you know? laughs> that was a disappointment when I came to the U.S. And, you know, people want to take you to all these Italian restaurants. Yeah. You're going, oh, please, you know, don't do that to me. It's a torture. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I imagine it's somewhat like Chinese food when, like, the Chinese come here and they're like, let's go to a Chinese food restaurant. And they're like, what yeah. in God's name is that? Because that is not Chinese food. But, yeah, I wondered about that with you because it's fantastic. Probably the best Italian food I've ever had when we, had, when we were having dinner together. Um, but, uh, thanks. But yeah, we probably don't have anything that can really hang too, too well, at least, at least in the yeah. in Chattanooga per se. Well, yeah, a couple of places that are pretty decent. I don't want to, you know, advertise them, but you know, the, the U S has come a long ways. I remember when I came in 79, Northern California was just a disaster. You had to go to San Francisco to find something that was close to, to home. But see, part of it, I think is, is also when you're getting raw materials, you know, i.e. your ingredients right. to make a particular sauce. Well, you get a tomato in Italy and it's ripened because it comes from a mile away. Yeah, you just picked so it. So you have an explosion of flavor in your mouth. So when you're using that, and then you're using the right meat, the right herbs, you know, is you're assembling uh, ingredients that are just fantastic. Here you're dealing with stuff that has been picked maybe a month and a half ago, so the taste already changes. So even though the variant might only be 5% per ingredient, by the time you're done, it's a different dish. Yeah, for so, sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And the acidity in, in tomatoes, at least sure, I know this, sure. I absolutely mm -hmm. raises the longer it's off the vine. Yeah. Um, all right, so I want to dig into you, uh, dig in with you to the kind of the subject of the head heart issue mm. with Christianity, because we were talking about Andy Thinker and you kind of pushed back on me and you said, well, read, and, and I think this is relevant because the reality is, is I think that there are other probably Christians that I know who maybe watch the podcast or see what I'm doing or something like that. And they would say, read, what is the role of, uh, of a podcast that's dedicated to help people think critically about mm -hmm. these issues when what we desperately need is for people to, um, to have a relationship or to have, um, uh, have their hearts touched by God to, uh, and, and, and really need an experience with God more so than to have um, an education on like who God is. And, and, and I thought that that was a valid critique, and I wanted to just dig, dig into that a little bit because I know there's people who have that question, like what is the role of the mind? What is the role of, of education in Christianity? And what is the role of critical thinking in mm -hmm. Christianity and all mm -hmm. that stuff? So you told me, uh, and if you remember, you were talking to me about your context immediately with a lot of the people that you work with, especially um, in, in Italy who predominantly are Catholic. Mm -hmm. 
And then a lot of people are going to have kind of a, a, a rough head knowledge of, of Christianity. But even statistically speaking, I th- for, correct me if I'm wrong here, but statistically mm-hmm. speaking, there's going to be people who say that they're Catholic but barely ever go to church. Like, I mean, correct. like, 60, what was it, 60% or something like that? Yeah, there are different statistics, you know, so it depends which group actually does the analysis. You sure. know, most of the time they tell, you know, the general statistic is 97% of the people in Italy are Catholic. Yeah. So it seems like almost ethnicity and belief are kind of going hand in hand. You're Italian, therefore you're Catholic. But there are some interesting things happening. I had a discussion with a friend of mine maybe six or seven years ago because I read some articles about this, about people being unbaptized. I don't know if you ever heard of that. No. Quite interesting. I've heard rebaptized, not unbaptized. Well, here's the deal, because you talk to a typical Catholic and you say, no, are you a Christian? I say, no, yes, I was baptized. So that's what they default back to, right? Yep. Okay, so I was two months old, three months old, four months old. I was baptized, therefore I'm a Christian. And and then you're looking at their lifestyle and going, oh, whoa, okay, I don't want to judge, but you know, the <laughs> fruit that I'm seeing you know, are leading me in a different direction. So you know, having a discussion with this one gal, basically her daughter said, I wanted to be unbaptized. Mm. And apparently there is a document that the Vatican issues for a release, if you wish, of that person. Yeah. Because has been forced unto them unwillingly. You know, you're an infant. You cannot say, hey, objection, I don't want this thing, right? So later on in life, you know, some of these people have a chance to say, no, hey, get me off the books. So that kind of puts a big question mark. How can you say that you're a Christian just because you were baptized when you're an infant? Yeah. If now quite a lot of people are actually getting unbaptized. Yeah. Same. So, so that's super interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so there's needless to say, a lot of people would classify themselves as Catholic, but then maybe practicing Catholic is a totally different story. Correct. So you're looking at that big number. You're looking at that 97 percent. But then the statistic is saying, okay, how many people actually go to church more than Easter, Christmas, yeah. and the day of sounds the, like the that, Bible Belt know? in the South. Exactly. You know, so that number by the time you're done actually drops down to the high. 30s. So oh, wow. you're looking okay. at 37, 38 that is actually committed to more than 12 times a year going to church. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So that so that so that's kind of what I'm talking about is that mm-hmm. um, I think this is interesting in terms of just kind of like classifying Christianity just as a cultural phenomenon, but certainly for for Christians as well. Just kind of look at this. So uh, so needless to say, the vast majority of those people. Because we can just kind of jump to the end. The vast majority of those people, the the Vatican has ordered some studies and some surveys, um, and and I just want to see what you thought about this. And then other Catholic organizations have also done statistics, and statistics are statistics, but it'll mm-hmm. tell us something. But the vast majority of the people who have left the Catholic faith, um, maybe even unbaptized, but at least when they've done studies against uh, millennials mm-hmm. specifically and said. Um, are you still engaged in church? If not, why not? The vast majority of those people, interestingly enough, did not say that they left the Catholic Church because of uh, any of the the corruption that they see, leadership issues, maybe even like the scandals with pedophilia or anything like that, money issues. The overwhelmingly, again and again and again, the uh, the reason that most people have left the Catholic faith has been because that they did not find a way to reconcile. Christian faith with logic and reason. Mm-hmm. So I thought that that was incredibly interesting. Mm-hmm. So so they, in other words, it's like saying this, that they did not understand that Christianity could be relevant to their life, mm-hmm. that it has something to say to them. That's the vast majority of people who have left the Catholic faith. Now, and I don't know what that looks like in the evangelical world and in the United States, mm-hmm. um, uh, but I would ventured to guess that it's probably pretty similar. So um, so I really do think that this podcast, if it doesn't sound too self-congratulatory, and and what we're doing here is plays a really, really important role of hopefully bridging the gap between mm-hmm. the head and, and the heart and helping us see that within the Christian world, those two things don't have a distance. Those two things are both under the authority of God, and God's one, God wants to touch both areas of That's his right. life. Now, for That's you right. and me both... Mm-hmm. We had phenomenological experiences. Mm-hmm. We had an experience with God that mm-hmm. convinced us that the gospel was true. Mm-hmm. We believe that that's real. We believe other people can experience that as well. But then I hear other stories about people like C.S. Lewis, mm-hmm. who initially came to Christ simply from an intellectual perspective. Mm-hmm. I think Ravi Zacharias, too, mm-hmm. although I know, uh, scandal aside, yeah. um, his story was that way, too, that before he really had an experiential 
relationship with God, he initially came to the gospel because it started to make sense to him. He started Mm -hmm. to understand it. I think this is super important too, because I know you've dealt with this as I have, that there's so many people who don't understand that there is a, it's not just superstition. Mm -hmm. You know, I heard somebody the other day classify faith as um, uh, belief in lack of evidence. And that's for the Christian. That's not mm-hmm. what faith is at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't researched enough I know, yeah. for, for them to say that. Well, who they so are is know, a yeah. is a, a well known atheist. So yeah. I, I can understand they don't understand what yeah. Christians actually believe faith is. Mm-hmm. But faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence exactly. of things not seen. Mm-hmm. So I I know you would say this too that there's an evidence for the Christian faith that if you take the time to research it and not just mock it or just treat it as though it's some mythological ancient. Mm-hmm religion that's, that people who don't think for themselves still believe in. If you actually take the time to yeah. research Christianity, there's a lot of evidence there that I think wins the hearts of even the most hardened skeptic if they're really honest about mm-hmm. that, that search. A C- couple of things since you put so many things out on the table. The first one, you know, talking about um, the, the youth in Italy, I had an example about 15 years ago. My own uh, nephew went through confirmation. Mm-hmm. And the cardinal that actually gave the message, you know, did a great job. So afterward, I just went in the back, you know, to congratulate him. And we had a discussion. I told him, I said, you know, I'm, you know, a former Catholic, and I had a revelation when I was in the U.S., and I received Christ as my Savior, and I live, you know, my faith through the Protestant, you know, belief. And what was humbling was for him to say, please pray for me. Wow. So that was remarkable. You know, a cardinal that is telling a Protestant, the enemy, yeah. <laughs> please pray for me, right? Yeah. So that was beautiful. But then what he said, you know, it really hit me hard. He said, and also pray for these kids because probably we will never see 90% of them anymore in wow. church. And I went, wow, what did you do to them? Mm-hmm. And in essence, he's saying, oh, we just burned them out. So that's a problem. You're going through the mechanics. Yeah. You have to have X amount of hours of catechism. Right. You know, what are you doing during that hour of catechism? I don't know, but kids are falling asleep. They're, they're, they're completely disinterested. They don't feel that they're connecting with the message at all. So they go through the process. They go through the, um, the emotion and the hours because they need to have X amount of hours in order to do that sacrament, right? But, you know, my nephew himself is, is an example. I mean, he just... Checked it out. Mm-hmm. So that's that's something that needs to be rectified, you know, within the system. Uh, that's that's the first thing. And uh, the other one, I forgot because <laughs> you put a few things out there. So no, I gotta I gotta pick up. Oh oh, there are, uh, I think we're talking about sensationalism. Um, Italian, especially in the southern part of Italy, they're very much sensationalist. So give me the miracle, and I believe whatever you want me to believe. All right which is a big problem, right? So that's another statistic that I read maybe 10 years ago. I was on a train, and I I read this article, and I actually had a priest in front of me. So as I read the article, it was kind of disturbing. They were saying, who do the Italian pray to? And they gave a list of names. So number one was Padre Pio. Padre Pio was a friar that was born in the late 1800s, I think 1896 or so. He died in uh, 1967. Supposedly, he received the stigmatas, and he did different miracles. So people were drawn to him. So 35% of the people were praying to him, number one. Number two, Mary. Number three, I think, was San Gennaro, which is the same protector of the city of Naples. Number four, I don't remember, but I think Christ was either number five or number six. Okay. He didn't even make the podium per guy. You know, <laughs> no, 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 they wouldn't meddle. You know, yeah. it's just insane. So I'm looking at the priest and I say, no, hey, have you read this article? He goes, no. I said, no, well, take, take 10 minutes, you know, and read it. So he read it. And then I said, no, what do you think of it? And he said, um, it's our mistake. And I thought, well, that's kind of interesting. So we had a nice dialogue. And it turned out that he was actually, um, he graduated with a degree in jurisprudence in, uh, in law. 
So he was one of those that uh, you pay if you want to nullify your marriage. Okay. You know, there is a way of kind of moving through those, you know, maze and, uh, and get your marriage annulled, you know, if you, if you want to get out of it. But um, nice conversation with him. And at least he was taking some of the responsibility, saying, oh, we have, we have gone wrong. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what percentage did Jesus get on that? Uh, oh, he was number five with maybe... I don't think he made double digits. I think wow. it was like nine, nine percent or so, and that's the sad part. Yeah, you know, because then you're looking at the Christian consumer. You know, who can give me what I want? Yeah, and it's completely warped theology. Yeah, God is supreme. Period. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, but, but you know, I think we have the same problem here. Uh, I, 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 we find the more we look at these things, that we're probably more alike than we are different. I think we have the same problem here. But if that poll was taken, people would still put Jesus at the top of the list. The problem is, is they would put Jesus at the top of the list, but it would be a Jesus of their own imagination. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be the Jesus of the Bible, the historical Jesus, mm-hmm. uh, the Jesus that uh, revealed himself to the world. It would be the Jesus that they want him to be. Mm-hmm. Um, the one that says, come and follow me, which yeah. means you give up everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not the Jesus that yeah. says, take up your cross, mm-hmm. deny yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, they hated me. Guess what? They're going to hate you too. Uh Uh, It's not that Jesus. And here's how we can kind of put that to the test perhaps is, uh, and and you were at church this past Sunday too. And I think this is a good way of looking at it is that Dietrich Bonhoeffer talked about a style of Christianity that is faith without repentance. Or in other (laughs) words, you could also look at it like this, that it's Christianity without action. Mm -hmm. And ultimately that's really kind of what I believe is so important about what we're doing with this podcast is because I'm trying to look at Christianity. Now, it's just conversation, and I agree. It's got to go deeper than that. Mm -hmm. But at least I'm trying to grapple with current events, political issues, um, cultural issues, uh, causes that are going on in the world that maybe even Christians don't know about. And I think all of that is incredibly relevant because at the end of the day, there is an element of the Protestant faith that has taught us justification by faith Mm -hmm. apart from works. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And then we just like, we totally throw works out the window. Mm-hmm. Um, and now maybe it's a little bit of the reverse in the, in the, in, in the Italian world and sure. the Catholic, in the predominantly yeah. Catholic world. But I think too, if we confess Christ, mm-hmm. we're, we're the confessing church. We've got the right doctrine, mm-hmm. but there is no action. Mm-hmm. There is nothing that becomes salt and light in the world. There is no city on a hill that's shining mm-hmm. a light yeah. into the issues of our day and, and, and making a difference in these issues. And we're just standing back in the church and, and, and using that uh, as our corner to just to, to cower back into instead of going out into the mm-hmm. world and, and, and allowing the Christian perspective to be heard on these issues, um, then I think that we're making the same mistake that, that you just kind of illustrated mm-hmm. where we are not engaging this next generation, we're not engaging the culture, and we're not even engaging Jesus. Mm-hmm. Because it would be hard, you'd be hard-pressed to convince me that Jesus wasn't somebody that was in the thick of everything that was happening in the first century mm-hmm. and saying, hey, there's a different way. Now, he may be explicitly like uh, word of God because he was the word of God, but, but there, was, uh, there was a voice that was heard, the voice of one crying in the wilderness to begin with, and yeah. then the voice of Christ to take his place, to baptize mm-hmm. with fire and water, um, the people in society. And so I don't know if that makes sense, but essentially I, I just think that, uh, that if, if we're not careful what will happen with the evangelical Protestant church in America is that we'll change Jesus into this person that can benefit you, but it won't actually change into us changing the world. Mm-hmm. It'll all be all about changing us and our circumstances, but it won't be about changing the world. Mm-hmm. And that's, I, I guess, I hope. And I think that that's where this kind of comes into play. And I think that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mm-hmm. your soul, your mind, and your mm-hmm. strength. And he even goes further, Paul does, well, maybe not further, but Paul mm-hmm. says, um, how can you know what the will of God is? How can you serve God? By letting your mind be transformed mm-hmm. according to the word of God. Do not sure. be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Mm-hmm. And then you'll be able to know what the will of the Lord is. Yeah. So yeah. I really think that this plays such a significant role. And, and even sometimes I think we underestimate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to put too much emphasis on it because I think that we can make a danger there too. Mm-hmm. But I think it's both. 
I, yeah. I, I think yeah. we've got to bridge the gap between both of these things. And Christians got to be outspoken. They got to be thoughtful on issues. They need to have a perspective, and they need not to just cower behind the four walls mm-hmm. of their church and just say, "Well, we'll just talk about faith issues." That's that's my thoughts anyway. Well, well, it's great thoughts, and again, you can go on probably for hours discussing all of them. You know, you you mentioned something, you know, love the Lord thy God with all your mind, your soul. You know, and sometimes you know you you even ask people, what's the difference between um, a soul and a spirit, right? Yeah. And, and you can even make the differentiation of uh, of of the two. And and I read something uh, a while while back. You know, they were saying, well, soma, you know, the body is the body is physical, tangible, so you, you can recognize it, but is the temple of your Holy Spirit. So what you do with that temple is important, right? Yeah. Um, then uh, the mind, you know, psyche, or we get psychic, you know, it's actually horizontal behavior. Mm-hmm. So it's the way you're interacting with somebody else, you know, the way you're shaping your way of thinking and, and doing things. Yeah. But it's horizontal. And sometimes what we try to do is we want to use the mind, the psyche, to reach God. Well, it's not capable because it's horizontal. It can be the opening, but unless you go to the soul, you go to the ruach, you go to the breath of God, that is the only thing that yeah. is vertical. Yeah. And, and that's why that needs to be awakened. Yeah. So it's there, I but it needs to be awakened. I agree, you know? totally. So spending time to realize, okay, I have these three dimensions, but how do they function in relationship to yeah. God, the creator, is important. And you have to consider that. I think that's, you know? I think that's sanctified living, mm-hmm. if you ask me. In fact, the word integrity doesn't just mean to be honest or to tell the truth. The word integrity means to be whole. Mm-hmm. So I think true sanctification, true Christianity, looks like us thinking about and ultimately, maybe that's what I'm doing is just grappling with indie thinker yeah. of, is yeah. trying to figure out what that looks like. And mm-hmm. as a Christian living in the world with these things happening, but a sanctified life, a, a Christian life looks like one who is, who is integrating, who is whole, their mind, their body, and their spirit in mm-hmm. one. And those things are functioning together under the authority and the dominion of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And those things are functioning the way they need to be. So absolutely, I'd agree. Yeah, and he needs to permeate every aspect of your life, you yeah. know, whether you're at work, whether you are by yourself, you know, because when you're by yourself, that's the true identity that does come out, whether you are with your spouse, your kids, you know, whatever it is. For sure. And, and we all lack a lot. I mean, me in premise, you know, I'm still working to that process. I'm pretty, of I'm pretty amazing. I pretty much got it, but, um, <laughs> but I understand there's other people. That's why you're doing the podcast, <laughs> yeah, right? right? You're there. You're Just arrived. Just to tell everybody else how to get it done. No, go ahead. Oh, so that's, uh, no, that that's that. And, and sometimes even, even in ministry, you know, you're even more convicted because you're saying, oh, wait a minute, you know, yeah, you you talk a, a great talk, but you know, let's look at the action as well because right. you need to be in sync. And, and that's one of the things actually that the youth in Italy is turned off by is is also the the hypocrisy. The hypocrisy yeah. So okay, the word is not relevant. I don't even know it. They rammed it down my throat. I don't want anything to do with it. But then also, I see I see the hypocrisy. I don't want any part of it. Yeah. So they're drawn actually to people that are vulnerable. They're drawn to people that are admitting their faults. They're basically saying, hey, I need a savior. Why? Because daily <laughs> I blow it. All right. So with that being said, I want to uh, just kind of jump ship a little bit on that subject and uh, and talk to you a little bit about COVID. All okay. right. So you were there um, I th- pretty much throughout everything, right? From the moment. No, no. no? Actually, okay. I was lucky. I was lucky because I lived there vicariously through my teammates that were okay. there. So what happened, actually, Jen and I, we left for four days to go to Turkey because I wanted to do uh, some spearfishing. I needed some time off. And then we're supposed to go back to Italy and two weeks later come to the U.S. So we got to Istanbul, and then all of a sudden, the airline two days later said, we're not flying back to Italy. Wow. We're shutting down because cases start to mount. This is the end of February, you know, and uh, so we start realizing, okay, we have to take a boat to Greece, and then from there maybe try to reach the coast. So after we discussed it, we decided, you know what, it's two weeks away, let's just go to the U.S. directly. Mm-hmm. So I left the luggage behind, and we took off, and we came here with uh, carry-ons. But, yes, we, um, we basically arrived here on March the 8th, and our teammates, 
live through it because one of them came back in June and the other one came back in August. So we were connecting with them via Zoom. So we're still doing gospel on Sunday via Zoom. But they would tell me, you know, what was going on. It was just insane, mm-hmm. absolutely insane. So one of the biggest problems I think we discussed at the other night is the fact that there is a town just south of Milano. Uh, it's actually part of the uh, suburbs of Milano. It's called Segrate, where they have a big uh, 5G plan. So a lot of people from one came over because of the 5G problem with uh, Huawei that okay. was underway. So they actually came from Wuhan? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. You know, so there was a lot of that exchange going on, and um, then was also coinciding with the Chinese New Year, so all of a sudden, you know, cases in Milano and the provinces, because people would commute in and out of Milano, were just, uh, were just mounting up, you know, like, uh, like crazy. And... Um, and that was pretty much at the middle of February. And then by, yes, by the beginning of March was was all over Italy. Yeah, so there's a lot of people who may not know this. So there's a lot of uh, Chinese immigrants or even Chinese nationals that yes. live in Italy yes. and do a lot of business and that kind of stuff. Correct. So, that, so is that why it was such a kind of hot spot for COVID? That one particular area because was directly connected to one. But then because of the Chinese New Year, people that lived in, you know, there is an area north of Florence, it's called Prati, um, where they have probably 60% of the population there is Chinese. Wow. You know, it's, it's insane. So there are different pockets. And all these people that went over, they were exposed, came back and, and spread it. But also the Italians went to what they call their ski week. Okay. At the end of February, beginning of March, you know, typically schools shut down. They give you one week to go to go ski anywhere. Okay. And so they didn't know how to handle it at the beginning. You know, it was kind of a you know trial and error. And so people went skiing. You know, they are inside of the gondola. You know, just jam one with the other, and they just spread it all over Italy. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Now, because it was so serious there, so severe. Uh, and I don't even know what the fatality count was at the end of the day there, but um, but at least we know when it was when it was in the the high season for COVID uh, that Italy was always on the news. Mm-hmm. So because it was so severe there, there were kind of some severe lockdown restrictions there. So tell us a little bit about what it was like kind of navigating around during that time, because uh, we've had kind of a tense relationship with restrictions with masks here in the U.S. Yeah, but it's nothing like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely nothing like it. I mean, I talked to some friends, uh, some Chinese friends, and they were saying, oh, the lockdown in China was insane, where people literally were locked inside of the room oh, yeah. from the outside. They were they were welding doors shut exactly. to keep them inside, yeah. So, you know, Italy was not was not at that level. But basically what they stated, for instance, you're allowed to go and get grocery, but it's only one person going and get the grocery. So if you were in a car with somebody else, they would find you. Mm. And then you had to have a and document. it didn't matter if it was like a wife or somebody from no, your house? No, they could care less. Okay. They could care less. Then you had to have in the document, you had to state also, I, I live on this particular street and I'm going to this particular store. So if you were stopped and you were outside of the area, also you will get fined. And then it got to the point even that uh, they said maximum 200 meters from your residence if you're out walking. Okay, so a lot of people took the dogs out. (laughs) So they borrowed dogs from neighbors, literally, to say, I got to go out, I'm going to go insane. And uh, and was funny because I think I might I might have mentioned to you one of one of my uh, guys you know the guys in the in our group in a church group um, he has a good voice so he put out a little uh, jukebox oh, yeah, is that yeah. you call it boombox or yeah. whatever you call it and uh, start singing yeah. <laughs> so he was doing his own concerts at night at five o'clock you know boom and like clockwork you yeah, know thank he would God have, for people like that I can only yeah, imagine yeah yeah Sing. it was just to maintain sanity you know it was just it was just nuts and then they got to the point where all of the Son of this, they're using drones. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how, how bad it got. Now, that yeah. sounds so super like yeah. 1984, George Orwell, kind of still like <laughs> sci-fi craziness. Yeah. So what were they using the drones for? To identify people that were just wandering around, especially more remote areas. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. would they use them to like maybe, uh, I'm just guessing here, but would they use them to kind of like track the distance of people to make sure that they weren't going over the distance they were Yeah, they, they get your identity. By the way, now everybody, I just talked to some of my friends last week, they're all getting electronic um, IDs right now. Yeah. They're required to get their electronic IDs. And they're still going through with... Uh, Is that to track people? Yeah. 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 
That is so crazy. So man. on that ID, they will actually start loading up information, i.e., have you been vaccinated, which type of vaccine, when did you do it, and so on and so forth. And now, is there any, like, kind of social acceptance associated in terms of, like, what you can and can't do based upon that card? Like, will they let you into certain stores? They are trying to limit travel. It hasn't passed yet. Okay. The EU had a certain article that was approved maybe... 10 months ago saying we're not going to go down that path of forcing people to be vaccinated in order to travel. But now they are revisiting then uh, that that particular uh, article and they're trying to push for minimum vaccination in order to to travel. Okay. Yeah. So here's the thing is that I can see the benefits of some of this stuff. Like sincerely, like I understand that they may be coming from a good place with trying to say, like, perhaps, let's just say this. Well, they've been vaccinated, so let's not force them to wear a mask. I mean, they've been vaccinated, but that's probably not true, right? That's me. That, that's a problem. You're vaccinated and you still have to wear a mask. Yeah. Now they're talking the about here. using the mask through the rest of the year yeah. and probably into 2022. I mean, here we're starting to experience some of this stuff. But, it, okay, so here's the question that I had, especially for somebody like you who's in the mm-hmm. thick of that stuff, because I've really wondered about this and I've grappled with it, is, is do Christians have a responsibility to steer the course of history, the course of their government with their conscience, with their with their moral foundation in issues like this. So I I understand we have to be careful because mm-hmm. there is not we're not gonna com- like conflate Christianity with mm-hmm. with local government or with the state or anything like that. We don't want to go back to Christendom, at least I don't. Um, <clears throat> but I also think that boy, this could get out of hand really quick. Mm-hmm. And especially people who have the right motives but are doing the wrong things, I wonder who's going to stop them from doing that if Christians don't stand up and, and really say something about it and it voice their concern. Um, and, and I want to hear what you have to say about that. But mm-hmm. just to, for instance, we just had Artur Pulowski. I don't know if you know who he is, but he's the guy that was arrested in Calgary for, for having church services that weren't socially distanced. According the one to in him. Canada? Yeah, the mm-hmm. guy in Calgary. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just thinking to myself, there's got it like this, even this kind of history of civil disobedience does mm-hmm. root from Christianity. Mm-hmm. Like the word Protestant means mm-hmm. protestant. That's right. And, what, and thank God for Martin Luther, a guy. I mean, mm-hmm. he wasn't perfect, but thank God for a dude that was willing to kind of say enough, enough is enough. enough. Mm-hmm. And I think we have a rich history of that yeah. as Christians. And, yeah. and, and I think that we might have a role mm-hmm. in terms of the overarching oppressive um, mm-hmm. things that can happen in, on the, in the name of COVID. So what's your yeah. thoughts on that? Well, I think, uh, aside from Christianity, I think nobody likes to be controlled. I sure. mean, Italians are, you know, infamous for that. You know, you you go back in history and you're seeing the guy on the hill of Tuscany with his own little army. And then the next guy, the next hill, you know, he has his own little army. So all independent, you know. Yeah. So sometimes when you're thinking about, I think we might have even mentioned that, you know, thinking about Europe united. I said, are you kidding me? I, you, you cannot even put Italy together. But anyway, so we don't like to be controlled. And, and one of the things that happened most recently as of uh, Monday of last week, a lot of those measures have been kind of uh, toned down because they realize that people start rebelling. Yeah. So I've seen videos that Frank was sent from Milano, from Firenze, from Napoli. They still have a curfew. So technically between 10 and 6, you're not supposed to go out and congregate. But, you know, some of these videos, they're showing 1030 at night and you have maybe 1,500 people in the square. Yeah. So, you know, <laughs> we are not going to submit to this because it's nonsense. It's absolutely nonsense. So how far can they play with those cards? Because to me, it's just abuse of power, period, right? So Christian or non-Christian, there is so much you can tolerate before you actually have a revolution, okay? But I think on the Christian side, yes, you know, we have to look at, is this logical at all? And if you start pushing a different agenda then I want to put some resistance. And I think we should be vocal. You know, done in love. I mean, that's the thing that always boils down to. I've seen some ugly things sure. done. And, and unfortunately, it's sad, but uh, you have relationships that are strained even among believers because people don't see eye to eye, you know, yeah. whether it's a political agenda or COVID, you know, themselves. But I think it's not fair to tell 
Me, for instance, you got to wear the mask out of respect. I have an immune system. I gave blood and they came back with the results. And I have my own antibodies against SARS-1, SARS-2, and SARS-2S. Yeah. So I cannot communicate that or receive it. So uh, somebody can say, well, but the, the next person doesn't know. I know. And if you ask me, I tell you. Yeah. So what's the sense of me being restricted if I don't need to be restricted? Right. So I, I think there is a delicate shift there where you're made feel guilty if you don't respect. And that's the way they're looking at it. Well, you're not respecting someone else. Yeah. It's social but shaming. Exactly right. Yeah. yeah. And my, my, my biggest concern, and I know I'm going to sound like a typical American here probably, but my biggest concern here is, maybe not my biggest, but one of them is the incremental encroachment upon liberty. Because I think the way that you take liberties away from people without revolution is slowly but surely, exactly. little by little. That's right. Uh, there's something- That's how you eat an elephant, right? One yeah. bite at a time. Yeah. <laughs> one bite at a time. Yeah. And, and it's the way you destroy... <laughs> This great constitution that's lasted yes. for so long and yes. kept us uh, one of the freest nations in the world, yes. uh, inarguably so. So there's there's that concern for me sincerely, and I feel like maybe I'm just getting older and paranoid, but uh, but I feel like that that concern uh, more now than ever before yeah. in my life that uh, that we have to understand freedom. Mm-hmm. We have to understand what true justice looks like, not just social justice, but biblical justice, and to Correct. understand what truth looks like. And Before you reach a point of no return. That's right. That's, that's critical. Yeah. So you incrementally dim the lights, and slowly but surely you can't tell you, you know, you're in the dark. And then, mm-hmm. and then at that point, it's too late. But you think about people like uh, Martin Niemöller, uh, who said, uh, I didn't say anything when they came for the Jews. I didn't say anything when they came for... Uh, the gypsies. I didn't say anything when they came for da 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 da, and then they finally came for me, and there was nobody left to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I don't want to exaggerate. Mm-hmm. I, I don't want to overreact. And but that's also the <laughs> the thing that we say to ourselves to keep us in the darkness. Don't overreact. Don't exaggerate. And then all of a sudden we realize, ah, we never. We don't want to go to that place where we say, "I told you so." But and I guess I'm saying this because I sense things changing in our nation. Absolutely. I at an alarming rate. Yeah. At an alarming rate. And that's the thing. History kind of repeats itself. So if anything, let's go back and view what happened before. Absolutely. So that we don't repeat the same mistakes. That's a scary part. So a whole idea of council culture wants to tell you that. Let's remove all of that so that we can have a fresh start. Wait a minute. Then I'm not going to learn from what the past taught me yeah. any longer. And yeah. then you can... Tell me whatever agenda you want, and, and I have to, uh, you know, oblige. Is that how you say? Oblige? Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. We have a moral obligation to fight injustice wherever it is seen and to stand for the truth wherever it's seen. Now, here's the big problem. We live in a postmodern world and maybe <laughs> post-postmodern or metamodern world where we say, well, who is the one that's going to stand up for the truth and who is the one to say that uh, what the truth is? Um, okay, fine. We can have that conversation, but I just know this, that if individuals don't say it for themselves, then that void is not going to stay a void. It will be replaced by mm-hmm. other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the one thing we talked about too, the last thing I kind of just saw bring up and just kind of get your thoughts on is, uh, is I, I made a video just a while back and it was about crisis and we just seem to have like one every other week. Like right now, of course it's our crisis. <laughs> yeah, it's our, it's our crisis in yeah. the Southeast, but yeah, you know, got yeah. people running on gas stations sure, right now because sure. of that pipeline yeah. uh, that mm-hmm. got hacked and mm-hmm. it's just like nuts. Like, I don't know if you, I'm sure you saw it yesterday, but I still mm-hmm. see it today mm-hmm. that there are places running out of gas and then there are just lines, mm-hmm. lines and lines of cars lining up at gas stations. But it just seems like we're, there's one crisis after another that's being either manufactured or just happening one way or the other from mm-hmm. from the pandemic on. And I I know from history, I know from history, I'm a history teacher for whatever that's worth, mm-hmm. but I know from history just from my own personal study that that is a ripe, fertile ground for totalitarian regimes, mm-hmm. for people to take advantage of mm-hmm. crisis to... Uh, usurp power because when people sure. are desperate, they do desperate things. They mm-hmm. try communism. They mm-hmm. try socialism. Mm-hmm. They say, "Hey, what's a million lives if we if it's going to make our world a better mm-hmm. place? What's a couple of Jews thrown in a concentration camp right. if it if it's for the betterment of the state?" Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, we find ourselves down this slippery, slippery slope. So mm-hmm. again, that sounds like exaggeration only if it doesn't happen. But if it does, mm-hmm. then we should have listened. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
That's great. Does that sound crazy? I didn't, I didn't Does know, that sound crazy? I don't think it's crazy. No, I don't think it's crazy. I think that we are heading down that direction. But then also as a Christian perspective, we are looking at potentially the end times and we know what it's going to look like. Yeah. So with that mindset, you're saying, okay, is this the beginning of the birth pains? Yeah. Because if that's the case, then there is nothing really that we can do to change it. I think we should be vocal about it, but can we change that destiny? No. Yeah. But yeah, I don't want to be caught saying, oh, you haven't even tried. Yeah. You know, that's the thing. Yeah, I think so too. And yeah. I think, yeah. so there are two things. Maybe we can make a difference uh, and we can, maybe not slow it down, but we can, uh, but we can, we can do what we need to do. Like Jeremiah was called to prophesy to the nation, even though they were going to Babylon mm -hmm. as a witness against them. Mm -hmm. So even though the end was going to, the end result was going to be unchanged by Jeremiah, God still had him there as a voice speaking to those mm -hmm. people. So there's that. But then also too, we got to take some people with us. Yeah. We have to remember that we are called to make a difference while we're here. And that perhaps, this is one thing that I've ended a lot of podcasts on because I keep on coming back to this. Perhaps in the midst of all the kind of crazy thing that's going on in this generation, this might be the ripest, most fertile opportunity for the church if we're not totally concerned about our social cred score mm -hmm. and about uh, about winning um, points on Instagram or social media or whatever uh, by putting a black square up or anything like that, but we actually get serious about the gospel and we get mm -hmm. serious about winning people. This is a fertile time for them because crisis also, it may make people desperate and give away their freedom, but it can also help them do some soul searching. Mm -hmm. So this is an opportunity, I think, for the church to be the church and to just say, hey, there's hope in the midst of crisis. Absolutely. And and the whole idea of hope is it's huge and something that Italy really doesn't have. I mean, what I've sensed during you know 2020 was fear. Yeah. Whoever you talked to, there was a, an exaggerated amount of fear, yeah. fear of the unknown, right? But you know, perfect love casts out fear. So for a believer, it doesn't matter. I think it was Babe Ruth that says, uh, "You can't defeat a man that doesn't quit." Yeah. So, so the whole idea for us as believers is it doesn't matter if I'm going to end tomorrow this way or I'm going to end in a year, in 10 years, if it's a disease, if it's an accident, I'm in his palms and that brings me comfort. Mm -hmm. um, so when I was talking to my, my Italian friend, I said, you know, you can be overwhelmed by what the media is telling you because they are also changing their tune. So they don't even know themselves. So go with the truth. Yeah. And then you point him back to the truth and you try to ground him in that truth that mm -hmm. comes from above. And that truth will set you free. Yeah, amen to that, so, mm -hmm. I was talking with somebody the other day, and uh, and if he's listening, this is for you, buddy. Uh, and he said, I just had to turn off the news because I just couldn't deal with it anymore. It's too <laughs> much emotional. It made me too angry. made me too depressed. Yeah. And here's the promise that we have as Christians is that maybe you still need to turn the news off. However... Um, it affects you differently mm -hmm. because if your hope is only in this world, how oh, hopeless are we? You're doomed. Especially right now where there just seems like uh, there's a new crisis every day. But if you have an existential hope, an anchor for your soul mm -hmm. that's bigger than this world, mm -hmm. you can step back when everybody's running on gas prices and you're like me and you're looking for a home yeah. and there's barely anything in the market and prices are being driven up so crazy. We're headed towards inflation because of how much money we're throwing out to everybody uh, under the Biden administration and all mm -hmm. that stuff. And you can step back from that and say, God, you're doing it for my good. Mm -hmm. Like there's no way you can do that except that you have an existential anchor called Jesus that's keeping yes. your soul in the midst of the storm. Yes, yes. And that's what we need yes. uh, at, this, at this hour. So that said, yeah. thank you so much for providing that for so many people and the work that you're doing in Italy, especially for what you're about Thank to step you. into with young people. Um, as you kind of dive into that, I'd love to have you maybe come back via Zoom when you're back out there. Sure, I'd love to. Let me know what's, be uh, great. what's going great. on. And if you're, that statistic that we talked about is starting to shift a little bit based yeah. upon what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah it's his work. It's not mine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I'm making myself available like you are because yeah. the mission field is not just another country. You know, it's the moment you open your door and you get out. Actually, it's even inside of your house. Yeah. So, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks for having me. Well, thank yeah. you for being a hero. All right. And uh, thanks so much for what you're All doing. Right. And thanks for the time today. All right. All right. Ciao. See you, everybody. Our thanks again to our guests for being on the show today. Indie Thinker with Reed Uberman was brought to you by our sponsors. If you like what you heard today, please do us a big favor and give it a five-star review and like it and share it with friends. And if you want to hear more awesome guests, make sure to check out past episodes. Indie Thinker is a nonprofit paid for by our sponsors and the generous gifts of people like you. 
In order to hear more great guests like you did today, please consider giving a tax-deductible gift by going to IndieThinker.org. And just remember, your voice matters, but infinitely more when you think for yourself.